Welcome to the Prague School Podcast. My name is Gerald Daleabout, and with me is the legendary Morgan Wick. Today, we are having a very special episode where we break down the second album by Dream Theater, commemorating its 30th anniversary, Images and Words. Morgan, how are you doing? Good. You've got to get out of your like trailer voice. <laughs> Just do the whole episode like that. Dream. I, yeah. Actually, I that, should. Would, that would probably be better. If you did. It, I mean, that's how intros are kind of cheesy a little bit like that. You know, I think that's the, the idea. I have like it's my cheesy, cheesy intro. It makes people feel comfortable. The yeah. cheesiness. Yeah. I have my cheesy intro music play underneath you when you do that anyway. So. That'll add. That'll add to it. Yeah. So, it, it, as part of uh, Images and Words Week here on the Prague School, I figured that we'd do a special podcast specifically talking about this album. I think we had planned to talk about this, but maybe later on <laughs> down the road. So, but I, yeah. I, I thought it would be fun just to coincide with the 30th anniversary to to do a podcast on it. So. Yeah, I this, think it makes sense. Yeah, and this will we be were inter- do uh, Queensryche. Yeah. But we're 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 shelving that for this this episode. So yeah, yeah, and actually we'll probably talk about Operation Mindcrime a little bit during this episode because it does it is part of that you know the early progressive metal history. Um, this should be an interesting episode because Dream Theater was like pretty much my entire life when I was a kid, <laughs> like a teenager. Uh, really? Like, so what? Do you, I, I'm kind of interested in that. Like, how do you come into Dream Theater as a teenager? Uh, I know that there's lots. Of, so actually, maybe just the back of it. I just right up front. I have never been like a huge Dream Theater fan. I spent a lot of time. I, I've listened to Dream Theater a lot and I can respect their technicality, but it's not something I'm like, you know, I'm listening to and really grooving to. Uh, and when I was a teenager, uh, Dream Theater was seen as kind of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was it was seen as like lame, you know, by the, by the, uh, by, by certain people that would listen to like thrash metal, like Metallica, they'd be like, Oh, dream theaters over there. That was kind of the idea. It also, for people who are into grunge in the early nineties, like dream theater was also really foreign. So it never really meshed with either of those genres. So my perspective was, it was just like, Oh, we don't listen to dream theater. So how did you come into listening to dream theater? So, when I was a teenager, I, I was starting to get serious about playing guitar. And like my family, I don't have a ton of musicians in my family, so I didn't really listen to anything that, I don't know, you consider that tea that interesting. It's like adult contemporary music or whatever, <laughs> contemporary Christian music. Um, and one of my friends had a bunch of CDs, so he, he turned me on to like Zeppelin and Van Halen and... Um, Ozzy Osbourne, all that kind of stuff. Metallica, I get the Black album from him and all that. Um, and I started to learn a bunch more on guitar. And I and I also have, where I really discovered Dream Theater is I have these uh, guitar player magazines I would get every month. And they would have lessons in the guitar player magazines. And I would cut them out and I'd put them in a binder, which I still have. It's like full, this binder oh, wow. of these lessons. Um, and one of the lessons was by a guy named John Petrucci, and I thought the lesson was really good. And I think at that time, I don't know, it was 2004, 2005, um, I just went on iTunes because you couldn't like listen to full songs. So I went into iTunes and like listened to the preview of a song from 
Train of Thought, which is their newest album at that time. And so then I really liked it. So I was like, oh, sweet. So I bought the album and then I was like hooked from there. So I kind of mm-hmm. like discovered it on my own. Um, mm. And now Train of Thought is like very different from this album. That's like a super heavy. It's like Dream Theater's heaviest, most aggressive album probably. Um, yeah, they definitely pick up a lot more metal yeah. uh, later and, on. And that's yeah. like their kind of most shreddy album too from a guitar perspective. So it made sense that that worked for me as a 17 year old who was, who was wanting to get better at guitar. So, um, from there I kind of went, I guess backwards. Cause at that point they didn't have anything newer than that, but I went backwards and listened to all the rest of their albums. Uh, I probably mm-hmm. downloaded a few of them illegally on LimeWire since that was <laughs> the thing at the time. Um, I like how we, now we have talked about that stuff. Like it was back in the day. It was it's like how boom. It's like how boomers like, and then I got the record, you know, or whatever. It was fit about that way. Seventeen years ago that I started I know, listening that to, is weird. to Dream Theater, like literally half my life ago. So, yeah, um, that is weird. That is it is a, it is a, it is it is back in the day now. Um, yeah. So so that's how I came to to Dream Theater, and <clears throat> and I got obs- then I got obsessed, and like my senior year of high school, all I did, pretty much all I listened to was Dream Theater. I listened to Dream Theater. Well, I listened to Dream Theater and Symphony X. Those were the two bands. That was like it. That was probably 95% of my music listening for an entire year was just those two bands. Yeah. So um, it's interesting coming back to an album like this now as an adult. Because like, I feel like I can look at this much more objectively than I could have um, even you know 10 years ago. Because... You know, now as as a musician who's matured and I've written a lot of my own music and I've developed all sorts of different kinds of taste, I can look at this and be like, okay, there are certain things that, you know, like back in the day I would have been like, Dream Theater's perfect. They don't, you know, everything's incredible. But now I can look at it and be like, yeah, okay, maybe there's some things. <laughs> what was uh, was Train change. of Thought your favorite album back then? Or it was, was it? yeah. It's actually still, yeah. Train of Thought is still in my top three Dream Theater albums. Yeah. Um, and Images and Words is probably... Images of Words is not my favorite Dream Theater album. It's probably it's in my top five. It's probably like four or five. Um, I haven't yeah. like ranked them in my mind <laughs> for a while, but well, I, I just um, find it interesting. Like if if you bring this this album up or bring Dream Theater up, and like like yesterday, I had some guys over and we were just you know hanging out and drinking beer and stuff, and I said, yeah, I'm going to do this Dream Theater podcast, and they the the reaction is like, oh, I hate Dream Theater. That's that's how they react. Really? So like it's weird. So I wonder how much it almost seems like is a necessary uh, uh, aspect of liking Dream Theater is you have to almost be a musician. Like if you're just a lay person that like likes listening to, and these are people from our generation, right? Yeah. So like they would have when they were in high school, they'd have been listening to like Disturbed and Godsmack and that kind of rock. But when they hear Dream Theater, they're like, Mm-mm, no, I I want nothing to do well, with. What's really and weird about weird. that is like someone like me so i got into dream theater when all that other stuff was popular all the stuff godsmack and all that stuff you're talking about and i hated all that stuff yeah well because i knew that it's (laughs) because really it's terrible well from a technical perspective it is (laughs) not even that it's just good at all like i don't mind some like man rock every once in a while if it's well done but that's just like yeah that's just like a bad example of it at least in my opinion but i know well it's pop that's like pop metal yeah yeah. right and so dream theater is just operating in a totally different place i mean so so for me if i listen to godsmack it's nostalgic i'm wondering basically make fun of it as i listen to it yeah yeah but but for you this is nostalgic but you can be like no actually that is it is good music (laughs) yeah theater is quality um 
stuff. Yeah. I'm wondering for you why. So you, I know that you like Haken, for example, because we went to a concert mm-hmm. before, and like Haken to me is basically modern dream theater. I mean, they they have their own sound yeah. now. They've definitely evolved beyond that, but especially their early albums and stuff. So yeah. what is what is it specifically about dream theater that you have a problem not like have a problem with, but like doesn't work for you? Yeah, I've been I've been really trying to think about exactly what it is about it. Um, is it the this vocals? Album, yeah so this album particularly part of it is the vocals are a little too intense uh that's a that's a pretty uh, common critique of dream theater well he goes so high and you're like okay i get it like like i can respect his range is amazing it's more the like quality of his voice is too in your face and it's kind of abrasive to me yeah um the, the 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 thing and the thing is too there's some dream theater songs specific songs i'm like that is amazing and i and it's not just the technical aspect it's like uh the only way that i say this so like i like symphony x and symphony x has seen like i've i was reading that some you know fans of uh you know, some prog metal fans will say like, oh, Symphony X does dream theater better than dream theater. Like they do the same sound, but they like do it better. Uh, some people are saying that. They're, I don't, that's I don't know. Ve- that's they're very, situation. they're very different in my mind. But. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. Well, they're in, I mean, like you, you were listening to the same thing. They're, they're, they're definitely adjacent. Right? Yeah. They've yeah, done yeah. Tours together. But uh, when I listen to Symphony X and I'm riding my bike, I like get a boost of energy. I feel a, 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 a t- it has balls is what I say. Uh, sorry. But Dream Theater is very much more a thinking uh, band. Like it, it doesn't hit me in my gut. It, it definitely is something that, that I, I can respect intellectually. Um, but then this album specifically, my main issue is I think the the time period that it was released um, I mean, we're looking at 1991, and when I listen to this album, I hear these other. I, I feel like it doesn't have its own specific sound. I feel like it draws in these other sort of uh, aesthetics into it. Like "Pull Me Under" sounds very much like a thrash metal song, but then you go to another day, and it sounds like almost like Journey. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then, and, and it feels, and then even "Take the Time" has. I mean, even qualities of like a with the sax solo, like it reminds me of like a Kenny G kind of an 80s song. You know what another I mean? day. Yeah. Or sorry, another another day. Sorry, I don't know why I said take the time uh, and then take the time, you know, includes like samples, like hip hop yeah. samples at the beginning. And so I feel like they draw in. It's like this mesh of all these different things. But but I feel like in this album, they never quite find their own sound, although there are a few songs that do. Yeah. So, so th- yeah. So it's it's all that. It's it's the it's the aesthetics of it. And then the vocals just never really do yeah. it for me. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things on this album. Um, first of all, it's their second album. It's their first mm-hmm. album with James Labrie singing. So they are still a new band at this point. And it's pretty common for a newer band to still be kind of finding exactly what they are, you know, sound wise. Um, so that totally makes sense. And and I kind of feel that way on certain songs too. Like I feel like, Oh, maybe this is too much Metallica or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Whereas I feel when you get to their later albums, you get a lot less of that. It's more of a, it feels more like integrated into their own sound. Um, yes. Totally agree. The other thing with, the my maybe my biggest issue with never just like ripping on the album but i love this album if anyone if anyone's wondering um but 
my biggest issue with this, and this would actually probably be the band's biggest issue with this, is the production. Um, it feels like it feels like it's produced like an '80s glam record. Yes, and that's not what Dream Theater wanted. So there was uh, a big issue with um, the producer of the album. What's his name? I brought it up here. David Prater was yeah. the producer and him and Mike Portnoy specifically the drummer fought a ton on the drum sounds and they ended up using these drum samples specifically for the kick and the snare that are like yeah. totally 80 samples and Mike Portnoy has said many times that he absolutely hates the sound of the drums on images and words and I'd have to agree um, yeah. and so after this album he really took charge Portnoy took charge on on the drum production so like what and wasn't there a point where the producer like locked Portnoy in the room? And, yeah, like, there was the something like that too. Out and like trapped him. He's like, play these beats. Yeah, like, yeah. Mike Portnoy is a Mike Portnoy is great, but he's a very like opinionated <clears throat> and outgoing person. So um, yeah. I can see him clashing with someone like that. And there's also some guitar sounds too. Like I guess John Petrucci saw an interview saying that the they made him use like some sort of weird uh, digital thing at the time for like the clean guitar sounds on some of them. I can't remember exactly mm-hmm. what the the thing was. So you get kind of that like, I don't know. You know the clean guitar sound I'm talking about. That sounds very like eighties yeah. esque. It that that's what I, like at the beginning of. Uh, are you talking about like beginning of Pull Me Under? Yeah, yeah. Although that has yeah, it, that's not clean, I guess. But yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So like there was, and it, the thing is, they're a younger band working for a, you know a record company at the time, and it's like they didn't have a lot of say on this kind of stuff in some cases. Right. So as you get later, that stuff goes away. Um, You know, even by the next album, Awake, you get rid of all those drums, bad drum samples and guitar sounds are like they're they're better already by the next album. So and then like the latest, the last couple albums with Portnoy specifically, the drums are some of the best drum sounds I've ever heard. Um, So I don't know. It's it's one of those things. I think it was just a, a part of what happened at the time, you know. Do, do you feel like from a playing perspective for Portnoy on this album? Uh, I mean, obviously there's, he's amazing. He's I, like one of the best drummers it's ever. That's the thing is uh, like, I think the playing is great all around. Yeah. Like, I don't think, I think the drum, the specifically the snare drum to me, at least it does take away from the sound overall in parts, but he's still playing everything really well. And the parts he's written are really good. Um, do you kind of feel like uh, they overdo it on the blast beats a little bit on this? I, I feel like there's parts where songs should kind of open up and allow it to breathe, and it feels like it's really well. There aren't uh, really there aren't really actual blast beats on this album because that's not what dreams. Right. Well, like just double. We're kick, talking about like double kick steady, in general. Steady double kick. Yeah, I guess not blast beat, but yeah. Yeah, I, I like, and, um, and I think another once again, I think your issue with that could be the sound of the kick itself. Yeah, and because no, now that you say it, it does sound because it has a you synth- you mentioned you mentioned quality. Symphony X yeah. and we've talked about Haken. Both of those bands, I think, use way more double kick than Dream Theater does. Oh yeah, especially no, I Sym- don't have an issue with double kick. Don't well, get especially because yeah, it, it might be the character of the sound that I don't. Yeah, like. it's kind it, of um, it has that really sort of, uh, I guess I don't know, like a poppy sound, like not like a mm-hmm. musical poppy sound, but like a high end sort of that you get from samples. And the thing is, like, samples back then weren't as good as they are now. I mean, a- every hard rock and metal album you've ever heard in the last, you know, 20 years uses samples. Um, yeah. But, like, they've gotten a lot better at making them sound natural and integrating them better. Here it feels like kind of 
overt. Um, so yeah, so maybe to I don't know to shift to sort of what this album does right. Um, too is that obviously this album is pretty essential to prog metal. It's like the quintessential prog metal album. Do you know? Um, would you say there's any bands before? this is there any albums before this album or songs that you would classify as prog metal oh yeah the the two big ones that most people talk about are operation mind crime by queen's wreck and then perfect symmetry by fate's warning those were 88 and 89 um right. and queen's wreck is still pretty pretty big but at a dream theater are kind of the poster boys for progressive metal at this point like they are by far the biggest progressive metal band like i was curious because I, I looked up on spotify like who's got the most monthly listens of progressive metal bands so i did all different kinds i typed in you know opeth and uh mastodon and some newer bands like periphery and ones that are, are popular now animals as leaders and dream theater has more monthly listeners than all of those by quite a bit oh so dream theater is the biggest progressive metal band and they have been for since this album pretty much yeah. um they did, I don't think they were the first. You know, I'd probably maybe give that to Queensryche or some of these other bands. Um, or even some of the, like, a couple of the, one of the Megadeth albums and uh, Metallica and Justice for All and Megadeth Rust in Peace. Those are both very, like, progressive thrash metal albums. So, um, you know, I wouldn't call those progressive metal, but they definitely, like, delve a little bit more into the complexity side of things. But this is this is the first huge well besides okay so operation mind crime was probably the first big seminal progressive metal album but this images and words is the next one and it i think it's even bigger um well the the thing you know i people they say like this is the the great triumvirate i don't know what they call it but of fate's warning uh queen's reich and dream theater yeah but to me <clears throat> when i listen to those bands queen's reich and fate's warning they have a that they have that very 80s sort of a thrashier yeah. or a new wave british heavy metal sound and yeah. dream theater to me is in a whole different category i, I would agree um, and i think i think it's because they include more classical prog elements uh and it definitely breaks away from that 80s thrash sound um they're incorporating a lot more rush and a lot more um sort of gentle giant vibe they have a lot more like classic 70s prog on this and they also bring in other genres like i was saying like some of the vocals sound very um glam rock or very even journey-esque uh, uh which you get with uh what's what's his name jeff tate yeah queen's um you get you get that with jeff tate but he's it seems like the the genre that he's in is more narrow. Dream Theater really broadens out and is incorporating a lot of different sounds. Yep. And so I know that's a negative I said before, but it's also a positive is that they really were experimental and really breaking a lot of boundaries. Yeah, and that, that's, I mean, that's time. why it makes sense that people wouldn't like this album as much because it definitely does do a lot more experimenting. And um, yeah, I, I think about pretty much any modern progressive metal band at least most of the big ones will cite dream theater is like a massive influence of some kind, even bands that yeah. you wouldn't like expect, you know, on the really heavy side of things too. So I think the eclecticism of what they were doing transferred, you know, to a lot of things in the future. Um, and, and the other thing to keep in mind is they, they found James Labrie, 
for the vocals, you know, right the year before this album. And they went on a yeah. long search for him. And back in, you know, 90, 91, the type of vocalist that you would look for in a metal band was very different from what you look for now. Oh, um, yeah. Like, they specifically wanted someone who sounded like Bruce Dickinson or Jeff Tate. Right. What was know. their... Was it uh, Charlie... Charlie Dominici was on their first album. He's actually... And sounds fine, but... He wasn't... So they... But they had a vocalist after him, correct? No. At him. They, they auditioned, had... like, a ton of people for, like, a year and a half. Um, and then they finally came across James Labrie, who actually did sing I, in a glam metal band before <laughs> he joined Dream Theater. Right, right. Winter's, what Winter, is it called? Winter it's Rose. Like Winter Rose. Because he's from Canada. A, that really summarizes vocals for me, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, is this that the name of that band? But didn't, Don, so Dominici was very much like a Bruce Dickinson vocalist. And in fact, I think they fired him because he was like on stage, like, copying bruce dickinson so hard that it like offended the audience maybe uh, i don't know if you read about like well i the, think uh, i think they didn't they felt that he couldn't do the kind of really acrobatic vocal stuff that they wanted was kind of the yeah well there, there was a show i think it was it wasn't in long beach but he said scream for me long beach because bruce dickinson said <laughs> oh. that and the audience was like we're not long beach like it was it was a base uh, that's where okay. it was at that's funny and so they were really turned off and they're like okay we need to get a different um singer and so if you listen to some of their other stuff where they they cover like iron maiden and Queensryche and stuff especially on these new um demos that they're releasing on spotify you can listen to a lot of yeah. those so they do like the mark of the beast and 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 stuff like that and Labrie crush it. I mean, he just crushes those songs. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can really tell it. That's like, that's his wheelhouse is that new wave British heavy metal sort of sound. But he definitely takes it to like another level. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the vocal, uh, the, this is what I always tell people. It's like, whatever you think, whatever you think about the tone of James Labrie's voice, like I understand yeah. if people don't like it, but especially on these like early Dream Theater albums, the vocal parts are absolutely ridiculous. Like, so yeah. high and like and really just athletic it's kind of like just like all the instrumental parts are really athletic and technical it's very much yeah. along those lines um it was an acquired I, taste for me his voice uh but i love the music so much and the instrumental part so much that i eventually just grew to like his voice um yeah it's basically the same thing that happened to me with uh harsh metal vocals like I hated right. screaming and growling so much at first. Then I listened to some albums where I loved the instrumentals so much that eventually I loved I came to love the that kind of I think people say about Rush as well, like Getty Lee's voice. Yeah, I think can, it's a very similar to a a lay music listener. I, I totally uh, agree. And I mean they start to like it. I would say that's a very similar kind of a thing is uh is Getty Lee's voice because it's very unusual tone to his voice. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. like the instrumental stuff brings you in and the cool long songs bring you in and eventually you come to appreciate his voice. So that's exactly what happened to me with James Labrie. So, um, but if people say they don't like, it, I totally get it. Like it's not exactly, you know, there are some voices that are just more pleasing to more people in general. Um, yeah. So that doesn't, you know, it, it, it doesn't bother me if people say that cause I totally get it. Um, yeah. One thing, also, if you didn't know, in 1994, no, 1995, James Labrie had a major, uh, he had a bout of food poisoning, which caused a major vocal rupture mm -hmm. in his voice. Um, and so he, it's amazing that he can even still sing at all. Uh, wow. But like after that 
incident you can look and like the albums after that like you lose a lot of the really high vocal stuff and it starts to because he can't has a hard time doing it you know after that because of that vocal rupture so do you um, think that was kind of good though in a way maybe i mean my favorite dream theater albums are from scenes from memory to octavarium which is 99 to 2006 2005 um that's where i kind of think they got heavier and then started to you know um well, i think on youtube there's there's a video and they cut together when you know when Libri really goes off on his vocals, and they cut to get, they cut them together all back to back, and it's just like yeah, what? oh, like the really the really high yeah. stuff, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you just realize you're like this is a little excessive. And what's weird is that um, even though it's amazing he can do that, some of his best vocal parts that I like on this album is when he is scaled back, like on even the beginning of take the time. I think it's take the time. Yeah. And the verses of take the time. Like I like those vocals. I'm like, okay, I can, yeah, I can get into this uh, more. And then than, it gets like super really high wailing. Yeah. And, and, and it's not, like I said, like, I'm like, wow, it's amazing, but it's not something that I like enjoy listening to, I guess. Yeah. Was, well, I mean, everyone's, I also have like a, a weird soft spot for like hair metal too. So, so like that kind of right. stuff doesn't bother me as much, mostly because I loved Van Halen so much. Um, yeah. from a guitar playing perspective, like I have, I have no problems with, like, I understand what it is, but like, I have no problem listening to like glam metal. It doesn't bother me. Um, like it would for a lot of people. Yeah. I think the other interesting thing about this album is it comes out right when grunge is like taking off. Yeah. And the fact that this was able to be successful is pretty amazing. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, technically, Dream Theater is a one-hit wonder, right? Pull Me Under is their, their only uh, hit hit song. I don't know if you can be called a one-hit wonder if you're the biggest band in the entire genre. <laughs> well, I, I just mean hit in the yeah, sense yeah. that it, it you know, cracked the billboard. Well, actually, no, like, a couple of their later it. albums, um, I want to say Black Clouds and Silver Linings, which was in 2009. I think that one actually cracked, cracked the top 10. No, I think it did, but this is the only album that went gold. Right? This, yeah, this is their best-selling then, album, and "Pull Me Under" yeah. is their biggest hit by far. It got like a, it got actual, you know, radio play and MTV rotation. So right, I'm trying to think. So so yeah, so "Dirt," the the album "Dirt" by Allison Chains is seen as sort of. Yeah, is seen of the the transfer from the thrash metal '80s sound of like Metallica to the grungier early '90s alt rock sort of sound. Yeah, uh, and and they're they're in the middle of that, but they don't fit. I mean, pull me under. I, I could definitely see if somebody's listening to Metallica, like, oh, sweet, pull me under. This is great. And also, that song's very straightforward. I mean, it has amazing riffs, but it's definitely not very progressive like in its composition that's probably like, it's why it became more popular because this was about a year after the black album so it totally makes sense that that more metallica style song would would be right a, so a that still resonated but they're just in a whole they're just falling from a completely different tradition they're falling from rush and yeah. um and yes, iron maiden and... that's that's where they're coming from and there just isn't a lot of representation for that type of music in the early 90s this is dream theater is the band yeah carrying the, carrying that torch and the on, thing is know? even back then it's like there's a lot of there was always there's always been a lot of musicians who want to listen to music 
that's I, I don't I don't think necessarily think that Dream Theater writes music for musicians, but most of their fans are musicians, you know, most of the people yeah. that really love them. So I can totally see where it's like all all that's on the radio is just grunge all the time. So having a band like this come out, if someone's like, you know, studiously practicing guitar for four hours a day, like that, that's, this would work for someone like that really well. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely a, a void that Dream Theater filled during this time. And they kind of kept the, you know, the progressive thing alive during this time. They were one of the big, big reasons that that kept alive. And then it's had like a big resurgence since then. Um, especially I think in a lot of ways because of dream theater. So, well, who, who's really carrying on the, the prog torch in the nineties? I mean, the eighties, you have a lot of, uh, you have a lot the of thing is that by that point, all out. your, your old school, you know, prog, prog rock bands are pretty much done or they've turned it yeah. into totally turned into pop bands like Genesis or, Yes, had yes, eighties and eighties, yeah. yes, which we can. And even that's the eighties. That's know? the eighties. Yes, is not present. Isn't yeah. on the scene really in the nineties. Rush had a few albums. Rush and, kinda, not really. But not really. I mean, yeah. So, so really, I mean, <clears throat> the importance of this album, you know, whether you really enjoyed this album on its own, it's like there's an importance to this album because it kind of carried, in a lot of ways, helped to carry Prague through the nineties. So, yeah, the the only, I mean, I listened to. Well, I guess Porcupine Tree, but they don't really get popular until. No, I mean that that kind of stuff happens in the two thousands, like other bands yeah. like that going forward. So I, I mean, I listen to Primus, and they're technically considered yeah prog, um, but they really fit their their sound was really riding on the alt rock. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they were they were with Nirvana and Morphine and Alice in Chains and all those kind of bands. Yeah. Uh, Opeth, I guess, but they're even still. Opeth's late big nights. album is Black. First big album, Blackwater Park, which is two thousand one. So, yeah, um, and that's like that's a. I I think of that as like a whole another side of progressive metal. That's like the death metal influence, like that super heavy side of progressive metal, right? Um, which they those that coincides that like uh, comes in line with the Dream Theater style. Like later, you know, that's how you get bands like. Uh, a lot of the modern, really heavy progressive metal bands who are like super eclectic and technical, but also really <laughs> super heavy. But. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at some lists um, there from the '90s, and not a lot of these are jumping out at me as uh, you know, pro- prog. Real, I mean, Tool, obviously. Yeah. Um, Tool is, I would say, after Dream Theater. Tool sort of. Tool is a big Tool one. Yeah. Even, tools even very mainstream also they're kind uh, of on the alt rock side too in some yeah ways. yeah yeah they're with prime i mean even primus's drummer played with um maynard on uh yeah. can't remember his other his other things so yeah they're more in that mainstream sort of this sound. kind of yeah i mean th- for this kind of uh prog that's influenced by you know yes and and all yeah. the kind of classic prog metal bands like um that's kind of that's you know that's a big part of why this re- this album is so important um, so yeah. there's a reason why I'm, I'm doing all this stuff for the 30th anniversary of this album. Um, yeah. not even necessarily, as I mentioned, that this is my favorite dream theater album or my favorite dream theater era. Cause it's not, um, but I understand the importance of, of this album to pretty much, you know, basically everything that I do. I pretty much, I owe my, I owe my entire musical career to this album in, 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 in a way. Yeah. Since dream theater was what kind of like pushed me to take music even more seriously. Yeah, I, f- I figure it'd be a good chance for us to kind of go through the songs really quickly. Obviously, we've talked a lot okay. about just the album in general already, so we don't need to 
yeah. spend too much time on each of these, but Pull Me Under, <clears throat> as you mentioned before, is really Dream Theater's only big hit. Um, I think their only song that ever got like a top 10 on the charts and had a you know popular music video back when MTV was a thing. Um, yeah. This is actually, for me, one of my least favorite songs on the album. I, I like all the songs on this album, but um, I don't know. I feel like <laughs> the metallic influences are maybe a little too much. <laughs> sometimes for me the intro guitar riff is like holy cow this is a 80s thrash song yeah but the other what, thing what is, is that effect called what is that effect called that's on that it's like an a, like a chorusing effect on it yeah it's just a chorusing effect on the guitar right? yeah and i think it might have been it, i think it was doubled with acoustic too so you kind of get like a little bit of layers too but there, I, I will say there are a lot of cool riffs in here but they're very like classic uh you know the other thing about this album is um John Petrucci used standard tune six string guitars the whole time. Now, after this album, there's a lot of lower tuned stuff. So he starts using seven strings, drop tunings, bare tones, you know, and, and even now on the newest album, they use an eight string. So um, you do even get like more of the heaviness later. But uh, this album is kind of, there's a lot of stuff that it's chugging on that low E string like you'd have with any Metallica riff. You right, know, that and kind of the, stuff. The, but the Metallica song is "Nothing Else Matters." That's what it reminds me of. The intro. Uh well, that's. I mean, it's totally different notes, but yeah, it's, I guess it's technically it's different notes, key. but the same the same chorus effect or acoustic. Yeah. G- g- I will say that there. some of these riffs are like they're pretty cool though. No, this is their most palatable song. It's easy to like listen to and enjoy for yeah. that. Like if you're going to introduce somebody to Dream Theory, you'd be like, listen to Pull Me Under. Yeah. I mean, that wouldn't and, be what I would tell people to listen to, but it's, it's an option. Well, I, I guess what I mean is if uh, if it was uh, somebody who you're talking to and they're like, yeah, I love, you know, Nirvana and oh, yeah, uh, Metallica, yeah. you'd be like, oh, yeah, well, this this is like a gateway song too i suppose back then <laughs> more yeah. complex stuff you know? in uh there are some other newer dream theater songs that are very metallica influenced that are like i think even more probably palatable i don't know um there's like there's cool i mean there's cool chords in here gave your prog rock power chord that's the verse the first verse um then there's like the keyboard solo do 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 you know do you do you like keyboards on this album i i really do i like them a lot i love kevin moore so kevin moore was their original keyboardist um and then it was derek shrinian for a couple albums and then jordan rudis who's been with the band the longest um kevin moore writes good parts and like they all work and they fit well and the keyboard solos specifically are really good i really like the keyboard solo on take the time um very kind of classic uh keyboard you know prog yeah. keyboard jordan rudis the you know the current dream theater keyboardist is maybe the most talented you know keyboard player no he's ever yeah, he's, he's crazy um but i still really like the way these parts were written here you know in general and and kevin moore also i think he wrote the lyrics for pull me under he right? wrote lyrics for a couple songs yeah and wait for sleep um right. he kind of like decided he didn't want to be a musician like during the recording of the next album, Awake, and kind of just left out of nowhere. <laughs> I think they were all like shocked when it happened. Um, and he's never, 
He's never done any interviews after that fact. He's never done any of the like reunion shows. He, I don't think he's even in contact with any of the members of the band. He kind of just, I think he's like a doctor now. He just like went off and did his <laughs> own thing. Uh, it's funny. So uh, that's it is really it's crazy funny. to be such a uh, part of such a big band and then just be like, eh, I'm out. I mean, maybe he guys. got the maybe they got a little bit of taste of success and he realized that's not what he wanted to do. You know? Yeah. Um, which is totally fine. Um, yeah. But like a lot of this riffing is like stuff that you see in a lot of later Dream Theater stuff. But you know, a lot of stuff you're losing. You know that kind of like stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and then I, I lyrically, well, I, as far as like what Kevin Moore wrote, like lyrically on this, I um, well, this song is basically about death, right? And doesn't it? Yeah. It's basically about hamlet uh and the only reason i know that is because i just watched the northman oh i just watched that too this is the northman this song (laughs) i was actually gonna ask off of hamlet i was actually gonna ask you if you watched that movie because that movie was awesome it was awesome um but that that's based off the original like viking tale of hamlet yeah yeah but yeah that's what um you know this is all basically yeah and watch the sparrow falling is an allusion to hamlet um the uh then my only father's son uh, I didn't realize I, I ended up looking at like songs facts just to verify. And I was like, oh yeah, this is totally about Hamlet, which is pretty cool to bring that like literary illusion yeah. into there. It is interesting that this is their, I mean, this is obviously their most popular song and like the most palatable one from here, but the first chorus doesn't happen until almost four minutes into the song. So it's still like, this is still a progressive song. That's crazy. That's true. And I don't, and, and the music video that everyone watched and stuff was a, was the entire song. It wasn't, like a edited down version huh um so it's interesting like you know you i think of this as a a palatable dream theater song but at the same time it is long and it is fairly progressive you know it doesn't have quite as many feel like uh stylistic changes and time signature changes and all that stuff but yeah uh, it's It's definitely a catchy chorus yeah that's probably the biggest thing is the catchy chorus which makes it you know more popular so yeah um but yeah i mean this is this is a fine song it's like i i think you know it'd probably rank on the bottom half of dream theater songs for me personally um but i like most of their songs so that doesn't mean it's bad by any stretch of the imagination right um so so what do you think of another day another day is my least favorite song on this album um me too (laughs) and my main problem well the uh, my main problem is the saxophone (laughs) i mean because it's like straight up like 90s like kenny g it style totally saxophone is. so at the same time though it's it's really impressive uh sax and i know a lot of people that actually say that's the only redeeming quality of the okay. song I, th- I think it's I, I see I, I actually love saxophone in the right context done right like i more prefer like the modern jazz kind of crazy fusion-esque kind of you know saxophone soloing this soprano sax um stuff is like he's a great player and the solo itself is fine it's just the tone of it doesn't you know yeah it's well. totally just so chill kenny g style like i can see the lights and, all and it was you kind know, of annoying to me spotlight on the yeah, sax player kind of, he's just like Meh! yeah 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 and what's kind of annoying to me is <laughs> i feel like those should have just been like more guitar solos or more like another you know, keyboard solo because the guitar solo on this song is awesome it is sick it's, it's yeah, really yeah. good um yeah. i'll have to show you this video there's a guy who did 
like his version of this guitar solo and he also like played through the chorus and over the sax solo it's one of the most insane things i've ever seen Mm. um but yeah and and this is like i i want to say that this song was they were kind of forced to put another commercial song on the album and that this is mm-hmm. the song that came about. Do later, do they have s- songs like Another Day? I'm trying, you know more about Oh, Dream yeah, Theater there's all you. kinds of ballads. I mean, Dream Theater is a lot of ballads, yeah. but yeah. they're different. You know, probably their quintessential ballad is The Spirit Carries On from Metropolis right. Part Two, which is like much more of a grand Pink Floyd-ish type ballad, which that, is that's really what good. That's what I was going to say. That I, you, were, you were saying that they were still trying to find their sound. I feel like that song, even though it's an awesome song, it sounds just like Pink Floyd. Like uh, the chords, the like singing, it, it's so Pink Floyd-esque. On. Yeah. Yeah. It's still an awesome song. It's got, it's I'm, got I'm just... tons of tinges of their own sound, though, especially like the solo. Yeah. But, um, and that kind of fits within... Metropolis part two is a whole nother thing, you know, that fits in the concept of a grand album, like concept album and all that. So, um, but this, yeah, I don't know. Other day, another day it's, it's fine. It's like, it's well-performed in the scene. Like the vocals are crazy high. Um, it's just kind of, it's not one. So outrageous. Like you can't even hardly understand. He's just, "Ah!" there's one, there's one or two notes in particular that are like ridiculously high. Yeah. It does sound, don't you think it smacks, it really smacks of journey, right? Yeah. There's some of that, that kind of, kind of influence in there. Yeah. Um, Which isn't really surprising. I mean, these guys listen to all different kinds of music. So yeah. Um, So let's talk about take the time. time. I like this song. This is one of, this is one of my favorite ones off the album. I I always think of this as like a really fun song. Yeah, it's just like it's super energetic. Um, it's got the like weird quirkiness and the, all the crazy parts, but it's it's just fun, you know, in general. Yeah, the like voice samples. It has like uh, Frank Zappa, uh, yep. Public Enemy, um, yep. are all the different that, and that just seems weird uh, to throw that in there. But it's it's cool. Like, well, Mike Mike Portnoy at the time was really into that early's early rap, yeah, and hip hop. So I think he wanted to try to incorporate. A little bit of that in there you know yeah um but you have a lot of these kind of like i don't know if it's call them swinging rhythms but the dan dan you know like the triplet kind of bass rhythm when well, the, the keyboard on. rips on this song like um yeah what do you in the early 90s that that sound that keyboard if you had a keyboard in your band which wasn't popular in the early 90s it was yeah, all yeah. guitar driven rock right but it had that sound uh what what do you what do you call that exactly uh, i'm not sure exactly i mean a lot of it was just like synth sounds but they were of the time you know thing technology has changed a lot as it goes yeah. along so because when i when i listen to it the only reference i have is that uh the video game metal slug uh yeah, yeah. relies almost entirely on that type of keyboard i mean sound. Th- those type of sa- <laughs> yeah i mean those type of sounds work in the video we've talked about this before like video game composers and stuff were very much in line with this kind of music well a dream theater is aren't they the most popular in japan they well they especially back in in you know 92 and stuff yes for sure not anymore now yeah. it's the entire world pretty much but, but they had a huge i mean they have the they have a live album that's in japan yeah. right or they had a live al- album in 93 in japan because so they ended up touring over there pretty soon after the release of images and words because it really took off over there um, right because the japanese are they really like this kind of music um yeah no and i mean you pick it up in a lot of like so that's why this when i listen to this i'm like oh this sounds like a sega genesis game yeah <laughs> sometimes <laughs> oh, that's funny 
Um, no, but I really, I really like this song. I think the choruses are great, and um, you know, there's lots of really just fun playing. I really like that. Well, the instrumental section in the middle school, but there's one part with the funky bam, 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 bam. Yeah, yeah, that part is awesome. Are you sight reading it right now? Yep. And there's like that the bass break yeah no john young he's so underrated man he he's an amazing bass player um he gets I, I uh, like he doesn't get enough credit he doesn't you know? get enough credit and and unfortunately on some of the newer albums he gets pushed way too far down in the mix too but not here i mean you can definitely tell exactly what's going on yeah um and then lyr- lyrically they all wrote a verse of this yeah which is just, interesting. like reflecting on their history, you know, going through different lead singers and all that. Usually, Dream Theater, it's like one person writes one song, you know, for for lyrics. Um, yeah. So it's a little bit weird that they all wrote on this. Um, and also, the other thing I thought was interesting on this album, I didn't realize till I looked at who wrote the vocals that are the lyrics, is that Mike Portnoy didn't write almost anything on this album mm. lyrically whereas on later albums he was one of the main lyricists so maybe at this point he hadn't just hadn't started writing vocals or lyrics yeah that's interesting so but yeah no, this is a great song it's probably it's one of my favorite ones on this on this album um, so, and, I mean, and oh the other thing i'll say about music they made a music video for this and did an edit and it's terrible <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch that. They did Is like the classic, YouTube? you know, you know, I mean, you've seen the cockroach King video. That's the edit that cuts out like all the best parts of the song. Yeah. That's basically what the take the time music no. video is. It's like yeah, short, f- it's shortened down to like five minutes and it cuts out like all the really cool <laughs> stuff. I know my favorite part of this is like the, you know, about two thirds of the way through the song, the Brit, just all the insanity that goes on. Yeah. In most of that gets cut in like the edit oh that's sad that's same with I'm, yeah i'm glad that that doesn't King. yeah i'm glad that that doesn't happen as much anymore like radio edits of of things because the radio isn't a thing anymore really yeah yeah no it's like the good. song like this is intended to be played like in its entirety it doesn't make any sense if you if you, if you chop it up yeah um yeah so take the time i, I, love, I love the guitar solos at the end too it's from cool like slide guitar and stuff yeah like really it kind of slows down at the end yeah it's yeah just, mm-hmm. yeah um and like live they would extend that um they would extend that solo out and producer would just kind of like rip you know for a couple minutes so so what do you think of surrounded this to me whereas another day is a, a ballad that i is my least favorite on the album that i don't care for as much this is the ballad that i do like on this on this mm-hmm. album i really like uh, the different it has a couple of very different distinct kind of sections and moods that it goes between. Um, and I really like the verse rhythm that happens like once the full band kicks in, which is in nine, four, that's really fun. Um, I, I understand there's like, there might be a sound and you probably have a problem with like some of the cheesy yeah. element of this, but <laughs> cause I know you, uh, well, but like, what is the mode? Like what, what is this in? This is what, what? mostly like major, 
honestly, like G major. So is that why? I, Maybe. You, you know more. I don't know. So yeah, this song, I'm like, wow, it's amazing. They can play it. But I, I feel like all I see is like never ending story. Like, like you're flying <laughs> through the sky and like yeah. rainbows, you know, like I see a trapper keeper binder okay. uh, when I listen to this. Well, I've never watched the never ending story. So there you go. I see, I see totally eighties neon rainbows, unicorns, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's more to do with the the production and the sound than it is the actual song. But I think it's the mode. I think it's, it's that major, it's, it's major mode. Uh, yeah, for I kind of like. I kind of like that Dream Theater's not afraid to do major stuff sometimes, though, because it gets so like not used. You know. Well, frankly, um, I have been. I think because mainstream music steers away from it, from this kind of mode, I have been socially conditioned to not like it. Even though it's good, well, I mean, most almost almost all of your pop music is in major scale. In the major scale, well, but so what is it that's different from this? I mean, I'm thinking, okay, so you know, I loved early '90s, even though I didn't grow up in the early '90s. I loved all that music, but Alice in Chains is not going to play no a I mean, song it, that it even could, has remotely this. Maybe scale, maybe right? for you, it's the combination of the rock element and major. You know what I mean? Like yes. you hear distorted distorted guitars playing. <laughs> you know. Like that, maybe that's the the thing that doesn't work for you. Um, it's something. It's something. It's 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 not. It's not the band's fault. It's my fault. Yeah, it's, I've it's just your been. Fault. I just hear it and I'm like, mm, that's not for me. And it's just because I've been in brainwashed by music to to not prefer it. And so I try to open myself up. And be like, okay, I'll, I really I'll try the, to appreciate. I'll this, do the classic you know? prog thing. You're you're a you're. A, you're an uneducated. <laughs> I am a completely uneducated. Like I'm just like what? You're sound? a rube. What makes me feel good. You don't what makes like. Me feel good. You don't get it. You just don't get it because you're not smart enough. To, no. I know. No. Serious. Well, it's true. I'm not. I'm not musically educated. Like so, I don't appreciate in the way that you do. Yeah. Uh, and that's 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 what's. In, I guess that's what's interesting. I think this song is me. fun. Um, and I really like the guitar solo. The like the it's a specific delay effect he uses that makes it sound like really fast. Um, yeah, and then there's some crazy vocals on here. I always really like that line. You probably hate this part, but light to dark, dark to light. light. Actually, I like that part because it like goes cool. up and down. Okay, you do like yeah. That part. I, I I appreciated that part. I have to admit. Yeah. Anyway, it's a it's a fun. I I think this is a better representation of of this side of Dream Theater than Another Day is. Um, personally, oh, till Another Day feels very forced. Um, yeah, and I don't necessarily long. have a problem with that song. It's just I think. It's not as good as the other songs on the album, so yeah. And that brings us to one of the big ones, Metropolis. Yeah, this Th- song is awesome. This is probably I... this is probably Dream Theater's most important song. Yeah, um, I think this man. I think this is my favorite song on the album. Okay. Actually, interesting. It's actually kind of right in the middle for me. Um, really i have i have i have some issues with this with the structure of this but um it's it's a classic dream theater song and there's so many cool parts to it uh and it's also spawned metropolis part two which is my favorite dream theater album so um i i feel like it need this song needs a few more things to kind of like connect it together it feels like maybe too all over the place to me but i one thing i do love the energy of this song and I love the like just the balls of this song. If that's to use that word. Yeah, again. I guess I'm looking at how people rank rank this. So I'm just on a forum right now. So yeah, this either ends up as number one or it ends up middle to bottom. It's really all over the place. Like uh 
there's a I saw on a Facebook group, a Dream Theater Facebook group, they did like a poll. They it was like a shootout of all the different songs, like a bracket sort of a thing. And this song ended up winning. So really, um, yeah. So there's enough people that this is their favorite Dream Theater song that it you know kind of ranks there. I like it. It, it it so from a lay perspective, it doesn't have as much of the cheesy yeah. quality. Yeah, no, for sure. It has the technical proficiency. And it has really awesome riffs. It does have so it has have like. a lot of cool, you know. There's the whole like, you know, like those kind of like chugging stuff, those patterns. Yeah. There. Once again, it's more just like low E, but this feels less Metallica than Pull Me Under. You know well, and then mean? the bass. I also uh, what it, it's about like five minutes. There's in, a crazy bass it just solo. Goes yeah. insane. Yeah. The blah, 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 blah. yeah. Oh man, John Young. Oh, oh! But then, this to connect it back to our last episode on Rush Hemispheres. During, right before the yeah. solo section, they do the Hemispheres chord. <laughs> like right before the. But isn't bam, there bam, another? Bam, 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 I thought on this album somewhere there's another throwback to Rush. Uh, like they actually play a riff, but now it got shame. Maybe, but that chord that chord happens, uh, right in the middle of of the song which is great. Uh, but yeah, no, there's crazy playing on this, like all those like guitar keyboard unisons. I'm not going to even attempt to try to play some of them. Um, yeah, the whole back half of this song. Is I really like notes. the... <laughs> I'm sorry, reading this. Right. <laughs> anyway, that, yeah, that whole yeah. part. That unison's really fun. Um, yeah, it. you know... <laughs> Dream Theater does these big, long, crazy instrumental sections. That's one of their like main things. Um, I don't, this is, I don't know. It, it's kind of like the quintessential version of it, but I feel like maybe it's a little too all over the place <laughs> and noodly. That's maybe my own, yeah. that's kind of maybe my issue, but I think the overall kind of vibe and, and, and feel of this song is good. They kind of kept capture that uh, one other element of Dream Theater, which is like the epic kind of quality of Dream Theater. Uh, yeah, especially in those like the last part, you know, of the song, and the vocals no, so are I, the vocals are super intense and high, but they they're different than they are on like another day, you know. Yeah, I just I I think for me it's just the instrumental proficiency there at the back half of the song. Oh I think, yeah, yeah, I mean I I I added this to my I have kind of a prog I have yeah. a few different prog playlists and I was like this is going on there. You you like uh, things that are before. you like things that are super energetic. It seems like yeah, more, more aggressive, more aggressive. Um, yeah, and this is definitely uh, yeah. more on on that side of things. Yeah, I could show this to my typical friends, and they'd be like, "That is crazy," and they would appreciate it. Yeah, um, they wouldn't appreciate surrounded. Wouldn't appreciate another yeah, yeah. day. That's what uh, even take the time would be tricky. Yeah. I, I think they and then pull me under. If I was living in 1993, you know, my friends would appreciate. Yeah, it. yeah. Not it. It just has. It just sounds so much early '90s that that I don't think it that, would have as much. That's why you need today. to you need to rock some train of thought. <laughs> I know, and I do like that album too. Yeah. I remember you showing that to me back in the day. I also remember those Petrucci videos where he, you know where he's talking about his setup. Oh man! Oh the so oh funny. the uh, the yeah, he's like this controls the rotation. Yeah, the, the fake sun. the the uh, <laughs> what do they call those? I can't remember. Those were super popular. They're they still the on voice, YouTube the somewhere. Voice yeah, they're the old, voice. But they're so funny because it is true. Like his setup is outrageous. And <laughs> this one controls the temperature of the sun. This yeah, one, yeah, that's what it the, was. All my guitars were 
hand painted by Michelangelo. <laughs> <laughs> those, those videos are great. Oh man, it, they were done by a guy Adam Zero Two was his name. You can still find them on YouTube. I don't know if they're the original videos. But... Oh, those are hilarious. Those are still funny. Yeah. I don't care. So, so then you're doing an episode on under. No, I'm not doing an episode moon. actually. Or by the time by the it. time that this podcast comes out, my full cover of Under Glass Moon will already be out. The in, entire song. So so why did you pick this song? Uh, is this your favorite song? On well, that no, one? I was uh, I was asked to do a collaboration video of this mm-hmm. song, and so I figured I'd just make also just make a version of just me playing along with the original album stems. Hmm. so i ended up with the, all the album stems so what i was able to do was put it together without the guitars and so i essentially just replaced petrucci on like literally did his parts almost exact as as exact as i could um and uh, yeah this is a good one to cover for guitar this is the most popular most covered dream theater guitar solo by far is it okay yeah this is considered to be by most people his best guitar solo I, I don't know if I would say that, but it's definitely up there. Right, because this starts at four. Yeah, and you know, it, it's just got so many earlier, cool looks. Didn't he just get a... They just got their first Grammy, right? Like 2021 for, for The Alien? Yeah, yeah. And I, I listened to that before this, and I was like, man, this solo... <laughs> it's just like a, like a five-minute guitar solo. It's just got all kinds of like really fun yeah. licks in it. Um, it's a really, it was really fun to like sit down and learn it properly. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so, so g- great song. I, I think this for me, this f- is kind of in the same vein as Pull Me Under is, is it's more like a more straightforward and uh, more aggressive, but I like yeah. this a whole lot better. Uh, then, then Pull Me Under. Then Pull Me Under, yeah. I, I you yeah. know, you know what I mean? They, they feel like they're kind of maybe in the same vein-ish. Um, no, it, it's a, it's more straightforward, but it definitely showcases their technical proficiency yeah, in yeah. this in this song yeah. more so than pull me under. And I think it's really just it's like super energetic again, and and really yeah. Kind of goes I feel like it. this. Would you say this? Uh, well, this song in Metropolis to me sort of uh, get more to the core of their sound uh later on uh, as far as how they play in later albums well certain now al- certain albums yeah because like dream theater does okay. different things you know they they will sp- purposely do a heavy album like train of thought and then their next one will be much more on like the lighter side of things so or they might have albums that do a lot of both um so yeah but i think for like the aggressive side more metal side of dream theater yeah these two songs are are good examples of that yeah and i i think i think these two songs are so unique for the time oh, there's yeah, no sure. i can't think of a band that would sound like under a glass moon back back then yeah i mean the vocals have very bruce dickinson-esque vocals yeah but the the overall sound is like there's nobody playing that at yeah. that point even even the other you know queen's is not playing stuff that sounds like this uh fate's warning is not playing stuff that sounds like this um yeah I mean, even just like the chorus riff, because I had to learn this. It's like insane, you know? Ah. I don't even remember how the rest of it goes, but like, you know, it's like so much like fast riffing just just underneath the chorus where normally you feel like you just have like chords, you know, <laughs> kind of. Right, right. Out. And there's the yeah, whole, so... 
There's the whole instrumental part in the middle. It's 11 8. Actually, 11 4, but. So it's cool. This this one is this has always been one of my favorites off this album, probably because of the solo, but um, yeah, just the song in general. And there's so wait for sleep. Uh, pretty short little interlude I in there. Think some of, piano. I kind of think of wait for sleep and learning to live as almost like one thing, um, right? Because there is literally the section like wait for sleep, that kind of piano pattern actually happens in the middle of learning to live, right? Um, so, but no, this is a great song. I I think this is a another good example of of kind of like really restrained ballad dream theater (laughs) Um, yeah this one is you know the vocals are much more kind of like restrained and not so high and um it's it's pretty (laughs) yeah i also like like with another day i feel like this doesn't sound so it doesn't sound like any thing else it it sounds more unique than another yeah and there are some like really interesting rhythms and stuff happening with the piano and yeah um it it kind of just showcases the different sides of them because it's not just like you know, I don't think you'd hear a band like Queensrÿche do something like this. Obviously, no, heck um, no, yeah, maybe because it's too like too ballad ballady, but um, it works for me, especially because it's it's short too. It's, it doesn't overstay its welcome or anything. And then learning to live. Uh, this is their first song to break the ten minute mark. Yeah, which is um something they do a bunch <laughs> yeah now yeah like six uh, degrees six degrees of inner turbulence that album like i, I want to i think the first four songs are all over 10 minutes long <laughs> like gosh it's uh, funny so i like this song too um this is my favorite and it's not even close <laughs> wait sorry this is your favorite oh yeah this might this i go back and forth but this is in my top five dream theater songs it might be my favorite dream theater song just is it just because it has so many different types of? The, the I mean, there's things, a lot going on in here. Yeah, there's like a lot that, going on here. That sort of a sort of a Spanish guitar. Yeah, there's kind of breakdown that. in That's there, fun. and the uh, I, I think as I mentioned with Metropolis that like I feel like maybe it was too all over the place in places. Like this song to me does the craziness, but everything feels a little bit more connected to me from a songwriting perspective. Um, and I just like, I like the dynamics of this song, the way it builds to stuff. And like the crazy instrumental part is, is not as over the top. Like it doesn't feel like they're necessarily just putting as many notes as they can in because they can, um, it feels a little bit more restrained to me. Um, and, and I think doesn't, this one sounds more like 70s prog yeah oh yeah for sure but but it still also has like some heavy riffs there's like the second whole kind of second verse part that's really heavy um and there's you know it it is it is maybe it's less on the metal side so i can see why this wouldn't be you know your favorite um no i i actually i like this song yeah yeah well i just Um, mean like you probably wouldn't like it as much as you know metropolis or I well, that's the thing. Like, I I actually like this song, uh, even though I do like more aggressive sounding stuff. I just like this song because it reminds me more of like classic Rush yeah, or yeah. Yes. Um, this does yeah. kind of like it. It does harken back to the the epic, you know, um, close to the edge, but Yes, and that kind of stuff. Um, it it like eleven more. minutes in, it has that kind of jig quality. Isn't that a throwback to an earlier song? 
Are you talking about the very you know, end of the, the song? Dun, 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 it sounds, it, it reminds me of something, another song. And I thought well, it, it happened. Like that part happens earlier in the song during the first chorus. Right, but I thought I thought that actual part is from an earlier song, but I don't know, maybe I'm Well, the the so part mind. that does there's the part that's from Wait for Sleep. Is the right. like that whole break. Um that's right from from wait the uh I thought it sounds I, yeah, I don't know. I was trying to think it. I thought it sounded like an older song or something ah. like that, but Maybe I, I I don't know anything specifically. I, it kind of has that vibe for sure. Um, but yeah, and well, I really maybe the thing that really makes this my favorite is is the ending of it, like the way it comes out of the instrumental into that last chorus, and then that whole ending section with the like harmonics on the guitar, like just so cool. It, like that whole stuff, just right. It's just fun. Um, it feels, it feels like, uh, this song to me kind of captures all the different things that I like about dream theater. It has some of the heaviness. It has the epicness. It has the like technicality. Um, but I think it's wrapped up in a song overall that sounds good, you know, as like, yeah, is well written. So, um, so this would be your number one, uh, well, I'm doing a What's ranking. I'm doing under... a ranking video with my okay, other friend here soon, so you don't don't make me rank him here. But I gave well, away I gave me, away which was my favorite already here. So for me, I think it's Metropolis. Okay. Take the time, learning to live under glass moon. Pull me under, and then all the slow songs. That's actually probably <laughs> you, you say that you you know you not the biggest fan of, of this album in general, but that's a. That would be a pretty common ranking, honestly. If you I, ask, I think like, so. if you ask, like a you know a hardcore Dream Theater fan to rank this, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but that's uh, that's images and words. Um, yeah. So what? So why should I don't know? Yeah, I guess we can wrap it up. Um, I'm just trying to think of why should a average person, you know, respect Dream Theater. So why should someone, a layman? listen to this album well i should say yeah. listen to this album or like this album well i can't force anyone to like anything i suppose i think both you know like uh and, and also even to tie in like why is this album significant to music as a whole too um but but i don't know maybe that's a whole separate question we've but yeah, why, talked, why should it i mean we've kind of talked an average to, person appreciate dream theater we've kind of talked about the importance of this album already is where it was kind of carrying the the prog torch forward and also pushing progressive metal to different places you know a lot of the bands that i know that you enjoy um in in the prog metal realm um and you know a lot of my favorite bands like they owe essentially their entire careers to dream theater so so you're talking about like between the buried and me haken those type of bands yeah symphony x is kind of at the same time well I yeah guess, they're but... at the same time uh, animals as leaders periphery a lot of those kind of like bands that are super popular these days yeah um, they owe you know a lot of their success to to a lot of them specifically to John Petrucci, but to dream theater in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and, and myself included, like that's the whole reason the Prague school exists and that I like this music was because of dream theater. And, and like, I don't have, for me in the dream theater is almost more nostalgia now than it is. Like I don't sit down, like I sat down and listened to this album for this podcast and I hadn't listened to it for probably a couple of years, like straight through. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, 
I'm not in the same place I was when I was like the huge Dream Theater fanboy, but um, this is stuff is still important to me. And like I, for me, as soon as I turn this on, it's like I get all those memories of being a 17 year old back in Alaska, like with my probably with a oh no, I think I had the original iPod with the actual like spinning wheel, you know. Um, it's like it's like any music you loved as a kid. Like the second it comes on, you're like instantly transported back to that time. Yeah. Um, so this will always hold a special place in my heart. Um, and it, it is, as I've talked about, like obviously, obviously pointed out a number of things that I maybe have issues with on this album because I'm able to kind of look at it more objectively now. But um, yeah, and like I totally get why someone wouldn't enjoy this album or or wouldn't like Dream Theater in general. I mean, especially specifically this this older stuff. Um, so I would never say like you you know you have to listen to Dream Theater. I have to you know force someone to listen to it. Um, everyone's going to have their tastes, but. Well, what about, what do you think? So, you you know, a lot of the points you brought up is that it influenced Prague metal and Prague music. I mean, it's, it's a huge impact. Uh, It's the most significant, one of the most significant bands, but like, I guess what I'm thinking of is how does it impact um, maybe mainstream culture or, you know, even, even like movies uh, or, or mainstream music. I don't know that it has a a big impact there. Probably not, but I mean, now they do bands like Rush, you know. <laughs> well, even Rush, like so, Rush, you know, is in that movie with Paul Rudd. Yeah, I and, guess there's some of that. You know, and and you know, they show up like they'll guess. You you would you, Rush could guest star on The Simpsons. Yeah. The band of Dream Theater won't. Uh, Rush is on Trailer Park Boys. That's true. Well, that's because that's uh, Canadian. Dream Theater is not. And and I guess that's what I mean is that Rush can kind of play this like okay they 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 have like a cult following yeah but they also can kind of bleed into mainstream and I there's I don't see any way of Dream Theater bleeding into I, I'm even trying to think of like if movies like in their score maybe use some influence from Dream Theater oh well no or, totally I mean movies and and video game soundtracks I mean yeah uh, one of my good friends who is another member of a sense of gravity i mean he that's his job is he writes video game music and he's like a progressive metal guy like that's his thing you know at least originally that was his thing um, right so there's so many people like that composing video game music and especially and 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 uh you know movie soundtracks too um that kind of influence happens in a lot of that um i don't know that necessarily this it has like much of an impact on mainstream music like you know the sort of pop music tr- like like line like lineage but right um i think i think that's on purpose because i th- yeah. think a lot of the fans of dream theater they're like i was when i was 18 whereas like if it was if it was popular it was crap <laughs> now yeah. i don't necessarily feel that way now um but that's definitely is like there's like a there's almost like a um a thing where it's like you want you want to you know you have to be like you have to be a certain level have a certain level of understanding of music and um appreciation for this to 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 enjoy the music you know what i mean yeah it's almost like that's I, do, a, that's I i think pull me under the only thing i think of is that it was in a guitar hero was it yeah i mean there's a there's a number yeah. of um dream 30 songs that have been in guitar hero panic panic attack was another one which is oh right which is another one of my favorite like super heavy the, songs. Do you do you think that Dream Theater will ever be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Probably not. 
See, that's crazy. Well, I mean, they said that about Rush, though. That's for a true, long time. but Rush is was. I mean, it's Rush. They're bigger, much. And bigger yes, thing. actually, was it yes? Pretty late to the Rock and Roll Maybe. Hall of Fame. I mean, it's possible. I suppose. I guess they've won a Grammy now, so they're getting some more recognition. Um, what's funny now is like they get a Grammy now, when I think, you know, they're older in their career. I think they're definitely on their sort of down you know headed yeah downward spiral like i i don't dislike the newest albums but i think that um i think they're past their heyday put it that way do you do you think that's because portnoy is out i don't know if i want to get into this conversation oh, is that <laughs> i'm gonna get the comments frog? no um <laughs> yes <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say well no no be, I, I mean I, just from an outside perspective i, I don't like, think okay I, they had no. some good albums portnoy left and then it seems like they kind of maybe seems like haken and other bands sort I, of I think it's more i think it's more from, that i think it's more that they've been around for a long time they're getting older and newer bands are coming in i don't think it's necessarily that they've gotten like terrible because they haven't like they've kept the quality up but yeah um there was like a period where they were like the kings and there was no one else basically right so um and that's kind of when i first that's when i first started listening to them was during that sort of period so um, well that's so so if we take like rock and roll hall of fame you know like okay so let's see this band this album came out in 1992 uh we talked the yes uh shoot what's uh what's the album that we did on this the podcast the popular yeah, that came out like what, 1973? 70, right? Yeah. 70. So there's a 20 year gap. Yes, was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2017. So, you know, by 2037, that's true. It, they, people might look back and be like, oh my gosh, Dream Theater, that that really had an impact. We missed it we'll you know, be, back in the we'll day. We'll be in the mist, mix, mist of the uh, apocalypse by then. So, <laughs> yeah, once, you know, once society's broken down and the streets are run by, uh you know gangs and of different prog metal uh affiliations <laughs> you have different camps be like, <laughs> like west side story with prog metal i want to see that yeah. west yeah. side story with dream theater songs uh yeah no and, and i would say they are theatrical in that sense uh yeah, actually sure. like i could see a musical with with dream well theater, I, mean, you know I mean technically they wrote the musical a musical or like a Oh, there you Sorry, go. called the astonishing which is by far my least favorite dream theater album it's, right it's, right it's, right it's not very good at least I well know. yeah i mean i that's the thing i i feel like i attacked dream theater i as a you know and whatever if people uh i also feel like i didn't stuff. really defend it that much but <laughs> i i i <laughs> love i like dream theater i like listening there's a lot of songs i really enjoy it's just not like at a at a core level it's not my cup of tea yeah, but I also at the same time can be like, holy cow! If this band didn't exist, things would be significantly different. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, and a lot of bands that I love wouldn't exist. Yep. Um, just just what they did in, in 1992 to to include so many different genres, and and really bring it together and make something new. Uh, e- even if they're not commercially successful, their impact is significant. Yeah. Know? No, um, for sure. I would understand. Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. And. Um, you know, it's, it is, I think it is important if you're a fan of music to understand like the albums that are in bands that are important, even if you don't like the sound of it specifically, like there's a lot of things like that for me too, or be like, I understand that this is an important thing that really changed music, but I don't like it personally. Um, you know, and, and I think if, I think for someone, if they want to listen to this album, if they've never listened to dream theater, it's good to view it through the lens of the time period if you can 
you know because i right. think that's a good way to view a lot of music especially older music because i think with with modern ears with production and the way that the sounds have changed now it's like if you've never listened to this it can be hard to listen to it and and, and not hear that stuff um yeah but if you understand the type of vocalist that these bands wanted at the time the the type of production that you had with the you know drum sounds and all that um if you can if you can kind of put that aside and focus on the songs themselves i think there's a lot here for for people yeah uh, it actually wouldn't be you know I, if i was to introduce someone to dream theater i'd, I'd start with newer probably heavier stuff assuming the person well, i think panic attack actually would be a good a song like that or you know something off train of thought or yeah. you know, if if they're a metal fan you know because uh, that sounds much more like modern and and, and aggressive and then if right. they enjoy it then you know, that's sort of a, a way to go backwards um a lot of people like to start with metropolis you know metropolis part one is like hey this is the first dream theater song is like that's not how i would probably approach it if someone if someone's a, a prog fan, then yeah, for sure. But if someone's just a general fan of music, that's not what I would probably do. Yeah, and I think that's what you gave me when, the, when I listened to it. I just remember my brother-in-law, just he's like, don't listen to this band ever. And I was like, okay. I, <laughs> I, he was like my him. music authority. He's like, here's Tool. This is all you need. That's like, okay. Um, okay, I think that's a good place yeah, yeah. to stop. We'll see what happens with Dream Theater in the future. I, I kind of wonder if, you know, it seems like Portnoy right now is not going to come back. I feel like if he came back, it's not they, happen. you don't think it's going to happen? Okay. Because, well, because I mean, that's the thing right now is how are they going to build a legacy up so that in 2000, you know, 2037, they get their Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction? Well, I don't think there's much more that's, they can do. They, I mean, they have, you know, they have a Grammy now and they have all sorts of other accolades and they're the, you know, a, a pioneering band for a whole genre of music. So, yeah um whether or not they get recognized who really cares i mean it's 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 the rock and roll hall of fame i don't know who who runs it's run by a bunch of (laughs) bunch of of corrupt businessmen anywhere no well it's true i mean yeah well it's it's like getting it's like getting a uh an oscar or something now does it really even it's like getting an award of any kind well yeah (laughs) but like well you know how like the oscars used to be like that like the biggest like most important seminal movies or whatever and now it's just like whatever <laughs> is preaching the right message <laughs> that's what it feels like no that's true i, I so. yeah, that's why it's kind of crazy that they got a grammy actually that dream theater got a Grammy. i think it's because they'd been it's nominated like a couple times and hadn't won so was it just a mercy they're like you know this band really deserves it. i think it's more Let's, it was more because um, it's an awesome song yeah uh, i like the alien it actually was not even my favorite song off that out the new album but yeah. Um, I th- I think it was more of a thing as like, it wasn't specifically for that song. It was for acknowledging their career in general. Exactly. But that's, then it's silly. So then it defeats the whole purpose. It's like, okay, what measurements are you using? I don't it's know. Not, it's kind of like, uh, like, you feel in your yeah, heart, this band deserves yeah, it. Yeah. It's kind of like when all. Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio got an Oscar when really he should have gotten one like way earlier, but they're like, well, yeah, they just missed they're it. Like we have to give him one now. So, you know, gosh, Oh, so. that's why I don't even follow that stuff. Well, yeah. anyway, anyway, I think we're going to get too political <laughs> yeah. here. Uh, I think, yeah, Signi- I don't know what else there is to say about it, man. I think we covered yeah, it. Significant album, obviously. And go, go, uh, go give it a spin. Cause it's been 30 years and you yeah, know, it's important to remember when big things happen. So, um, I've got yeah. more videos coming for this images and words week including my biggest 
probably the like longest, biggest video I've ever done so far. So, uh, okay, which may might be somewhat controversial. We'll see. Anyway, <laughs> good. More not as controversial. Not as more contro- Not as controversial as Gerald just ripping on images and words. This whole podcast, I know. We'll but. see. Well, that's the thing. I'm not. I'm sort of an outside. Like you'll take all the heat, and I'll just go on with my no, life. That's fine. I don't really care. <laughs> I'll just I'll just put I'm it like, on. That guy's you. an idiot. I hate that guy. He doesn't know anything. He's, <laughs> no, no, no. Who is he to have a It's good to have dissenting theory. opinions. It's not fun if you if everyone is just like, yeah, amazing, you know, the whole time. <laughs> I think the main thing is I'm not an expert yeah. uh, by any. Like I'm not. Uh, there's people that are listening to this that are way more trained. I'm just giving my perspective, my subjective oh, yeah. perspective of this band. That's well, all we, I can do. One thing we can all agree on is that '80s yes is bad. That's. Yeah, that is that's objectively true. That's like that's like <laughs> that's gravity. A, uh, that's science. Oh, I have to. Um, <laughs> that we're going on too long, but uh, I just saw Haken in Symphony X recently, which was an awesome concert. Oh, yeah. And I ended up in the tour bus with Symphony X at the end, which was fun. What uh, you didn't even tell me that? <laughs> yeah, this is the first time I'm hearing about but it. But Haken, uh, in the middle of their song 1985, they played "Owner of a Lonely Heart." <laughs> like in the they just like break they broke right into owner of a lonely heart they did the entire song and they went back into With the guitar where they have the guitar no i didn't have a guitar but they went oh, back into man. their song it was great Good for it them was, it was actually awesome. i love their sense of humor is great That's it was great stuff, but. Anyway. all right well thank you for tuning in to the Prague uh school podcast yeah. uh next time i'm not actually sure what are we going to talk sure. about next well time? we got to yeah, figure but... it out um but we'll, we'll come up with something good don't worry <laughs> <laughs> It'll be good. We'll yeah, we'll yeah. we'll stay in the trajectory. It'll be something from the nineties. Yeah, yeah, for sure. probably. So yeah. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you guys all next time. And until then, stay proggy. Mm-hmm.